So I went to go for confession this morning because, uh, as I said on Twitter uh, last night, I got a kind of a scary little thing to go work at at a care home this afternoon. So I'm like, I better a spiritual situation that we got. I got they've asked for a priest for. So uh, you got to get your soul clean. But as I got back, and I'm not going to talk about that today. Maybe next time after the experience. Uh, but what I want to talk about because when I got what back, a teaser, what a teaser. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You want more information? Too bad. You, you just, it's it, it's like it's like uh, the uh, true devotion to Mary. Maybe you'll never know. Maybe maybe you'll maybe, never, maybe I mean, you'll never know. Maybe it'll be like your critiques of uh, Saint Louis de Montfort. We'll never exactly. know what they are. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but anyways, I got back. I uh, got to the office, checked the mail, and as I'm talking to my secretary about a couple of things before heading upstairs to get lunch, I see the UPS truck pull up. Mm. And they had a box. Ooh. And the box had tape that said, word on fire. Mm. And in the box <laughs> was the new, I mean, people can't see. I'm holding it up to the camera. <laughs> they can't, people can see it. You I, can't see. You I'm can only the pages hear into the mic. Yeah, here we go. Ooh. Here we go. Ooh. This is the new uh, Gospels uh, from Word on Fire. So I've only had a chance to kind of like briefly look at it. Okay, quick correction. But, They're the old yeah. Gospels that we know and love. <laughs> it's not like Bishop Barron wrote new Gospels. He's got the old ones were out of style. <laughs> yeah, but he's kind of a big deal. I mean, he could. I mean, he could write. I mean, I don't think that would be his style. Probably um, not. Probably when not. When he jumps the shark like that, we'll let you know. But as yes. as as it is, this is a this is a Bible. Yes, that's that, right. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, so it's we got the leather bound version, which is just so nice. Like it holds so well. Uh, oh, this is okay. As a bibliophile, just quickly, the way the pages open and hang. You know what the problem when you open a book and you're maybe at the beginning and that left page likes to suddenly flip over and you can't, no matter what you do, you can't keep it down? That doesn't happen with this book. <laughs> yes, the binding is it quite is good. It is bound so well. It is gorgeous. This is, I, I know I'm kind of being hyperbolic or whatever, but this is really the nicest Bible I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So let me, uh, so I, I got the this Bible a few days before you did, and I've actually been uh, using it, flipping through it, and even praying with it in my holy hours. And uh, so here, here, here's the gist. This is why this is worth getting. So uh, it's, it's directed toward people who are maybe unfamiliar with the Christian tradition or the Bible in general. But I think... That still makes it very useful for, to be honest, most uh, Catholics um, that, you know, who haven't or have been afraid to approach the Bible by themselves. So what it is, is the Gospels with various kinds of commentary. You're going to get a lot of Bishop Barron commentary, which is excellent and it's always excellent. But also within the pages, you find commentary from the church fathers, from uh, modern authors like Fulton Sheen. Uh, you also get um, Greek word studies, so explanation of some of that fancy Greek stuff. And uh, another neat fact is like they also do art. So there's like biblical mm -hmm. art and an explanation of that. And it all works on commentary with the Gospels. And the entire focus is not, there's a lot of stuff and a lot of kinds of commentary you can use with scripture, but the focus is really on who is God, who is Jesus. That's like the, the focus of everything. Uh, and so it feels like, you know, you are reading the Bible along with the church. You're reading the right. Bible along with the teacher. You're not approaching it by yourself. It makes it far less scary. And uh, I mean, to be honest, even some of the insights I've been using in my preaching the last few days, and it's been a part of my prayer. Uh, and yeah, the, the most striking thing is, is that it's just a really nice book. <laughs> yeah. It's just really nice looking. This is and how that's a important. Bible should be. It's important because we are tactile creatures. We encounter things through our senses. And it's it's not a book you're going to scribble in, uh, it, but it's something that's it makes it just easier to pray with because you've got this like nice... It's the same thing like, yeah, I can pray with, with any rosary I find, but I have my favorite rosary that I like so very much. And it might be a shallow thing, but it helps me pray a little bit better. It's just easier right. to focus. And I, I found that same thing with this guy. So I, I posted a little video on Twitter of opening it, um, and the I did say actually though I was like actually there's a lot of room in the margins where the scriptures are. You Don't could, you actually, dare! These pages are too could. nice for you to scribble in. You could write in it, but that's how you show a book you love it. I mean, listen, hold on a second before I go any further. Yes, are you saying the medievals were wrong to write glosses in the margins of the scriptures? Okay, I think I think book culture was a little different a thousand years ago, though. How so? 
Well, because that's all they did. Like, there's a uh-huh. difference between... So they were... I mean, they're just not writing the glosses. They're also copying and, and doing that right. kind of thing as well. Yeah. I just... I don't like how your counterexample <laughs> was, I can't refute it. It makes me angry. <laughs> I just You're know... You're welcome. I just know in my heart that if you were to scribble in this particular Bible, I think it would be the wrong thing to do. I know. I probably wouldn't do it. I'm just saying if 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 you felt this real need to... Or you had this like... God spoke this amazing insight to you in prayer that you could never ever want to forget when reading the scripture. There is room to put there something is, there. Yes, if you, yes. you, you know, uh, the way I've, I, I a good use kind of, of white space yes, for those exactly. who like formatting. Yes, stuff. exactly. So the way I've kind of tried to summarize this is that it is, if you will, it's like the four senses of scripture come alive. Mm-hmm. Because like you have some parts that here is the context and here is what's happening. Here's the Greek. This is what the Greek means or whatever. Yeah. While in other parts, it's it's a bit from a church father who's giving a spiritual interpretation or a, or a moral interpretation of the text or whatever. And for me, this is what I actually, this is why I'm so excited about it. And I'm going to be telling everyone, please get yourself a copy. Because for me, this is actually one of the most important things in the life of the church to rediscover is this the deeper spiritual sense of scriptures and it does it in such a way without having to tell you here's the four senses it just sort of it, it's 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 um it's like it's it's kind of trying to educate you in in the sense like the illative sense that newman talks about where you don't need to know all the principles but you kind of just intuit them by your experience and that's what this bible is trying to do so uh i'm and apparently second volume, which is the rest of the New Testament, comes out next year. Oh, cool. Uh, so um, from what I've been told and what I've heard, and I just can't recommend it enough. This is I'm this is going into my holy hour spot immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and like in the beginning, there's kind of like uh, Bishop Barron writes this little article, which is basically like a mini day verbum. It teaches you the Catholic understanding of how to read the Bible, what it is. Mm-hmm. Too. So it really is. It's if you've ever been afraid to approach the Gospels because you're afraid to do it alone, you can pick up this Bible and you're not alone. It it, it teaches you uh, along the way, um, and that's I mean, as far as the style as what you said, uh, um, Bishop Barron and the, the folks on Word and Fire, they are great teachers, and it really shines through in these commentaries. You, you know, I had a parishioner come in just yesterday saying, you know, I I don't know how to read the Bible or to pray with it. Now I know what I can recommend to them. Actually, I think I even might buy some copies to put here in the parish that mm-hmm. people can buy because this is going to be a great help to everyone. Yeah. Cool. Anything else on that? No, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. So we definitely, we got these for free, full disclosure. <laughs> sure. But it's a really easy thing to just do uh, indoors because, like I said, I have been using it in my holy hour. It's, yeah. If it was bad, I'd tell you, or just uh, I wouldn't say anything at all. But it is. It's, um, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. This is... This is a classic Bible immediately. Mm-hmm. By the way, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm, yeah. I, I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. You got two minutes. We I got two minutes. Okay. You got? Uh, I, I had a, a uh, so I have a pretty small group and uh, we've been meeting via Zoom. And like I said, I may have mentioned previously, but surprisingly it's worked well. We've been able to be open and honest with each other. And... It reminded me of how important it is to have difficult conversations because there is a tendency in the world today that if you don't have the quote-unquote correct opinion fully formed and ready to display for the world, then you should be canceled. And that's that's not how you convert people or win over hearts or convert sinners or anything. And so it made me really appreciative that I have this space and these other guys have a space to just talk openly and honestly. And we we, we do push back against, against each other, um, but always respectfully to just get at the heart of an issue. And as, as we all know, there's a lot going on in the world. So mm-hmm. um, very thankful for that. And that being said, I've already been at my computer screen for like four hours today. I'm kind of done. Oh, so this small group was over Zoom? This was over Zoom, of course, of oh. course, of course, of course. But wow. uh, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully soon. It's it's so hard to tell. But I I am hopeful for when we can meet in person again. Yeah, we're what I'm doing. We're we're shorter on clergy, obviously. My diocese, as everyone knows, I've repeated it often enough. But um, I have a classmate who's about an hour away, and we've um, my bishops asked me to do some more stuff on the west coast. So I've actually just decided 
told the parish I'm not around on Thursdays anymore. Yeah. Um, so half the time I'll be on the West Coast saying mass. The other half, though, I'm going to go up to my buddy, buddy's parish on the Wednesday night. We can hang out. And Thursday, I'll just spend the time studying. But then at least we can have some common fraternity yeah. and talk about things and unwind. It, it's so priests need that. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Priests need that. So I'm glad that you're able to have that. Me too. That's good. Cool. Well, let's do some more priest talking stuff in the <laughs> Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. The Summa Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. The first one, I am totally going to nerd out here. Okay. Too bad. Suck it up, people. Yep. Um, from Anne, Carpe- Anne M. Carpenter at Catholic Kung Fu, and she says simply this, more people should read Maurice Blondel. Smiley face emoji. Smiley face emoji. <laughs> Who now, is this person, and why should we read them, and why do you care? Uh, we should care. Why do I? Well, I, I care because uh, he's who I wrote my master's thesis on, uh. on his doctoral thesis called L'Action, which is French for action. Um, yes. So he is a late 19th, early 20th century Catholic philosopher who was heavily involved in the debates around modernism methods in theology and philosophy, the relationship between the natural and the supernatural, and the understanding of the idea of Christian philosophy, whether you can have a Christian philosophy or not. Um, These are the debates he entered into, and he is a very influential figure because um, his work was immensely influential on Henri de Dubac, who is one of the great figures of 20th century Catholic theology, and who whose theology really shaped the Second Vatican Council. Mm. And so uh, one scholar of Blondel's says that Blondel is the philosopher of Vatican II. Oh. Yeah, which is quite the claim to make. Um, And so he's just really, really important. Now, I will fully admit, while I I totally agree with Anne, everyone should read Maurice Blondel, everyone can't always read Maurice Blondel. When I read his doctoral thesis the first time around, I took copious amounts of notes to try and translate it into English, even though it was already translated into English. <laughs> if you have ever read some dense philosophy, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and I have over 200 pages of those notes just from his doctoral thesis, okay. trying to help me understand it. But it's a very, like he's he's trying to show that the human heart, even even if we look at things from a purely natural perspective, that the natural world opens up to the supernatural. Now, for many listeners, this may not seem like a controversial thing to say, but in the early 20th century, it was actually commonly held by a lot in theology that this is not the case. And so his work laid a philosophical groundwork uh, and method towards understanding this complex relationship between God and creation and really set the stage for a lot of the big debates of 20th century Catholic theology. So he is an eminent figure in this tradition, and he is worthy to be known and read. But I also recognize in the end that not everyone is a uh, is a philosopher, and not everyone can read the dense philosophy, and that's okay too. But as a total Blondel nerd, I love to read him. Okay. Oh, my headset fell out. Oh, they can still hear you. But they can't hear. So oh, but he, can't, he can't hear me. He can't hear me. Okay, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm back. I'm back. Okay. I was going to come up with an insult before, but it's too late. Nope, too late. Okay, so <laughs> I have a question and a follow-up question. Okay. Uh, first question is, is there something that he's written that is more approachable? Honestly? Well, it depends. Like, what what audience are you talking about? So the answer to this question is no. Uh, <laughs> right. So the follow-up question is, you're a guy who writes books now, right? 
Yeah. I mean, it might be a future project, something, some mm-hmm. kind of commentary or something to open up the philosophy to, to you know, a wider audience, something to think about. I Since you're such books. a smarty pants, you know? Yeah. He, I would say of all his works, his letter of, on apologetics is the easiest one, but it's mm-hmm. still not super easy. Um, I, I, I've thought about it. My problem becomes, I don't know if there's a, it'd be hard to find a publisher who would be willing and open to having a book published on him. You just gotta come up with like a, like a clickbaity type title for it. <laughs> like, um, uh, oh, uh, if, do you want to be a good Catholic? Read this book. The book. That's that's the title. Like you can you can figure that out. Leave I'll, that I'll to th- the marketing people. Okay, I, I will. I'll throw out one little thing, a little promo, something I have written that's out there, so that if you want a little introduction, if you search Google Church Life Journal and you put in my name, you'll see an article I wrote there. It's a part of my thesis on apologetics in Blondell. So check that out and read that. And if you like it. Then and I'll post it on Twitter again. If you liked it, I can maybe try and find another avenue, at least to write something, at least a little, a little intro for someone to read. There you go. But Inquiring not a book, but like an article, like an article or something. Okay, okay. All right. All right. So this one is from Trent Horn at Trent underscore Horn. Can a Catholic be a socialist? My debate with Sam Oracha will be taking place live this Thursday at six p.m. Here's the link. Okay, so that this debate already happened. And you don't have many thoughts about the debate, but I don't want to focus on the many thoughts about the debate content. Okay. Uh, the one thing that really struck me about watching this debate about whether or not a Catholic can be a socialist is that the the modern debate format really underwhelmed me. Right. Because what happens in these modern debates is that it, it is focused toward who wins the debate. And I don't think that's how Catholics should go about finding the truth. Like, the goal should be finding the truth about something. And it really, watching the debate, it really opened my eyes to the fact that like this is a bad way for Catholics to talk to each other. It's It becomes more of a game. And there's really important things being discussed here. And they were both able to bring up points and, and discuss on some level. But with the time limits and the format, I was just really underwhelmed by this w- method of getting at the truth. And I think right. it's overrated, and I would have liked to see them have a a more casual conversation about it to try to understand each other better and get at the real points. Because I feel like while some of the real points were brought up, there's a lot of underlying stuff that wasn't touched because mm-hmm. of the debate format. So I just wanted to bring that up. But if you want to gotcha. bring something else up about it, go ahead. <laughs> I watched it live. I, I I had I had the YouTube comments on at the beginning, and then I quickly turned them off. Right. Because, yeah. Um, crazy stuff. <laughs> there was some funny stuff though, but I'll leave that maybe for later. Uh, but um, it was interesting. I will be for completely frank. Um, I was not. How do I want to put this? I I, have, I tended to not to lean a little bit more towards Sam's position in the beginning, anyways. Mm-hmm. Not just because of what he was arguing, but also with regards to. How do, not the biggest not the biggest fan of modern apologetics okay yeah so I tend to cringe at anyone who claims to be an apologist to be frank just mm-hmm. to be honest told, I'm not saying anyone's a bad person or anything I'm just not and, and this is I guess this is one of the things I, for me this is the big thing I took away from the debate and it's on it's on YouTube I you know it is worth checking out I agree I think I was a little underwhelmed too it would have been Either that or where you have like an almost written exchange that's back and forth. Like I think of the Ratzinger-Casper debate from the early 2000s about the relationship between a universe and particular church. It was very well done. And you can see a little bit of the underlying heat in the writing. Sure. But it it was a format where the questions and comments could be taken, assessed, and replied to. Doing it on your feet is very difficult. Um Here's why, and I'll be honest. I think Sam won. If we're mm-hmm. going to take, if we're going to talk about it that way, because uh, that's what you're supposed to do with a debate. Um, there is a winner and a loser, or at least whatever. Um, one of the things Sam kept on doing within the debate that I think is so important in terms, of, and I, it was almost going to be my topic for today's podcast. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about it. I might. Who knows? We got we got ten minutes. Maybe I I might change to it anyways. Um, 
it's the relationship between ideas and history that ideas have a history and a context and that we can't just simply take texts in an abstraction without understanding their history and just use them as proof texts for a particular position. And I felt in a way that, that Sam was, or not Sam, um, um, Trent was missing this a lot. Um, and it was this point that Sam kept on trying to bring at from different angles and it just kept on going, I don't know, it went past Trent for whatever reason. Sam's kind of, and he kind of replied to me on Twitter about this. That, he, that was his thing is like, these things are not so black and white because they have a history and a context. Right. And, and, and what the, what, you know, Pope Leo meant by the word socialism is probably not what we mean by socialism today, mm-hmm. for example. Uh, and not just that Trent actually like gave way to a lot of socialist arguments to the point where it's like, so then what are you saying? Like, we, uh, and I'm not saying I'm a socialist or anything, but I was just like, I was just underwhelmed. And yeah, I felt there was a lot of, of I felt was... he was trying to do a lot of proof texting that I don't think is helpful to right. a debate. Right. And it, it, it did boil the crux of it was what is the word socialism mean? Right. Um, because it's, a, it's a powerful word. It has a lot of context in different situations. And so, but the other thing, the other thing that I, I wish they almost got it. And Sam, I think tried to get at this a little bit, but I think we need to stop pretending like we are only about, uh, facts and figures, uh, when we talk about these things. Uh, when we talk about something we care about, there's a lot of emotional baggage that comes along with it. And I think in order to get at the truth of the actual concept, you have to acknowledge your own biases or where you're coming from or why you're concerned about that. But that takes a lot of vulnerability, right? To be like, this this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart because of these reasons. Uh, but unless you're willing to do that, I think it, it ends up cloud, it becomes a white elephant in the room. That there's a reason why I care about this. And I thought Sam kind of approached that in that way, but it doesn't, that sort of thing doesn't work in a debate, right? Especially around something uh, as, as charged as socialism. If we're really going to talk about it, let's not just throw out the talking points we've memorized from our favorite sources or whatever that, like, let's talk about how we feel about it as well uh, in service to the truth, because there is in order to get at that concept and what it means, I think we have to be more honest about that. And the debate format, it doesn't work like that. You need to have a lot more trust, but I think that's the more Catholic way to go about these things. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. I think that that's, Sam actually even asked that question. Like what is your moral aversion to socialism? Right. And, and what what are your feelings around it? Like, Mm -hmm. just tell me what, like, what is your gut instinct almost? And he shared his own as well as his experience with like under trying to understand Catholic social teaching, the saints that have inspired him. He was willing to offer a little bit of that. But uh, like I said, that, that feels weird in a debate format, which I, you know, I think, you know, Trent was unprepared for. Yeah. It, it, something like this is more apt towards a conversation. Yeah. Right. The the debate format in general, I kind of agree. I think it. I don't think it, especially in a tweeting culture, where people want, where you can have like an instantaneous reply and response. Mm-hmm. The debate format seems too slow and unable to be at service to the truth now. Yeah, and I think also, you know, a lot of people who are watching this or are going to watch it, you you have your position already formed, and you're just rooting for the guy that's on your side. Right. And that's not how we should approach an intellectual discussion. Um, Yes, it's okay to have biases and to have your Mm -hmm. own position already kind of laid out. But if you end up just rooting for a side, you're not actually listening to the content. And I think that's another danger and something that, you know, being so divisive and politically oriented that is all that was kind of brought up. So I thought it was a very interesting debate. Mm -hmm. I think it's worth watching. It wasn't as painful as I thought it was going to be. Um, And uh, it gave me a lot to think about. So I brought up the tweet. So... I'm going to make an executive decision here as yeah. this week's host. You are the host. We're at almost 26 minutes. Yeah. Let's just go into presbyteral. All right. Let's just do it. We're doing it. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the best part. Yes. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. A little, a little peek behind the curtain. At least for me, I'm going to be, I'm going to share it. I'm going to be vulnerable, Harrison. (laughs) When I'm not so confident in what I have prepared or what I have not prepared thoroughly, I am more okay with letting the summa go longer. 
when I when I'm really like I have a lot to say, I'm like let's cut the sor- the suma short. So that's how I approach our suma length. Okay. So uh, normally that would be the case. I'm actually essentially just conscious of time because mm-hmm. I have to throw on my cassock to get to the care home for two thirty. My time. okay. That's this is good. <laughs> this, that is the only reason. I actually don't know if I feel confident, and uh, because it's an idea that's, as we all know, the podcast is often an opportunity for me to play out ideas that are swimming around in my head, and I can yeah. have a conversation to get these ideas out. But I want to kind of share a couple experiences from reopening. And some things I heard, just, you know, people talking around the church or whatever, things I've heard, and how I recognize how horrible our catechesis has been on the Mass. All right. Sounds spicy. I'm excited. Okay. So, we reopened last weekend. Um, oh, and I'll, I'll be completely honest. I will be vulnerable, too. Um, yeah. It was anticlimactic. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Wait, did I talk about this? Last? Maybe we, oh no, we, do it. Also, time is still a flat circle for me, so I can't mm-hmm. remember. Guys, maybe I did talk about this last week. No, but, well, you uh, that. You anyways, can repeat it. Uh, just more about um, mass is mass, but it's like our music is less. Um, you can only have so many people in the church. I'm not greeting people after mass. Like these little things that are part of your experience around mass and stuff like that are really actually you start to realize how important they are, and when you take them away. It, it takes away from the salinity of the celebration. Um, and so, and then it is, it is weird to have not on, to only be limited to 50 people. You're preaching to our, our church can sit 300. Yeah. But we can, and, and the way we're designed with social distancing, even if they increase the numbers, we would still only be able to fit 50. Yeah. So it, it's weird preaching to an empty church. It's like every mass is a weekday mass. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, that's weird, and it, it, we'll get, well. You know what? We'll get used to it. And I know most people are just grateful to have mass. Yeah, but I think it's important to just acknowledge the weirdness because this is nobody's fault. This is just no. what's going on. No. And I we had a daily mass, and I have a big old church. Uh, at least one of them, a few big churches. But uh, we had pews blocked off, and everybody was mm-hmm. wearing masks. And it was fascinating to preach to a bunch of eyeballs because that's all you could see <laughs> from the people. The people were looking at you, you know. <laughs> and it was like, oh, this isn't perfect. Um, but also, the other thing that struck me about my experience was one: it really was just to have people in a church building and have mass was. I really, really appreciate it. It was really a really beautiful moment for me. Yeah. Which yeah. became all the more striking when the next day I went to back to preaching and celebrating in front of a camera. It, it just mm. like hit me. I had grown used to the camera, but just having that dichotomy was like, oh my goodness, this is not the same. I, I think that was it. It was like I, I recognized with preaching how hard it was to make eye contact with people mm-hmm. because I hadn't had to do it for three months. Um. So yeah, it's it's it, and I'm just saying that because it's not it's not a bad thing. It's just it's it's a transition into what is going to be normative for a very long time, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, but I've had we've had some people. Obviously, we can only have so many weekend masses. With I only have so many volunteers to make things happen. We can only, we only have enough volunteers to make five masses happen. Three weekend, two weekdays. And some people want weekdays because they want the smaller crowds because we're not full on the weekdays. Um, some people want Sundays. People aren't happy because they can't go on Sunday. Right. Right? And, and I get that. Like, listen, I'm not trying to denounce Sundays because Sundays are the, the Lord's Day. And perhaps it would have been best just to say, do you know what? We're having five weekend masses and that's it. No weekday masses maybe. I don't know. But anyways. Um, but here's where... I'm starting to really worry and wonder. And I and I just I'm just saying some things. I'm not just gonna I'm not just by the way, I'm not just kinda trying to call out people in my parish or anything like that. You guys know I try not to do that on this podcast. Because it's not just stuff I've heard in the parish, it's stuff I've heard elsewhere as well. Especially perhaps amongst older generations. And it's this that they we see mass, okay, well, oh well. The Protestant church, when they're live streaming, they have all this music and we don't. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. No, I mean, I get that. Music's important. It has a place in the mass. Uh, but also it's like copyright stuff around live streaming and everything. There's, there's a, <laughs> like, yeah. The little Protestant church isn't going to be hunted down by copyright people, but they're looking, they're always looking 
on YouTube and stuff like that to, to sue you for copyright infringement. So we have to be careful about those things, about what we, musics we choose. And, and um, Or I really miss having coffee after mass. Yeah, that's, that's fair. It's yeah. a community element of it. I, I, I miss that too. I miss that too. Or I don't care... Okay, I, some people couldn't get Sunday mass. Well, we have Tuesday or Friday. I don't. I will only go on Sunday. Hmm, that's interesting. That's an interesting comment. And I've gotten that one a lot. Yeah. And because and again, and I get, again, people I get have a, the priority of right. wanting to go to Sunday mass. That right. makes a lot of sense. But there's, you know, that there's some other issue going on when you say I'll only go to Sunday mass. There's other yeah. stuff going on in that person. Well, it depends. Like some of these people are ones who would come to weekday masses as well, but. They only get one mass a week. That's all we're allowed to do right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I get it. Like I, and I'll be honest. There's those little things that go in my head. Well, people have a right to Sunday. Sure. Right? I, I kind of get that too. Um, so those, and also, you know, like, if if the thing is like, I literally can't make it to a weekday mass because of uh, work. Right. Like that. That's also an understandable well, thing. Although we, what we did in our parish is, if you are a family or we know you are a working person, you automatically got your first choice. Oh, okay. But that's also where largely a retirement population, so it's easy to make gotcha, that choice. Gotcha. Um, but this is the thing: like, if you're retired, you have the flexibility to go whenever you can. Mm-hmm. Generally, yeah. And this is where I got I, a little brainworm started to kind of fester in my mind around this, because it, it it it's kind of been a culmination of experiences in the priesthood over many years, hearing different things that people have said. We do not see the mass as a sacrifice and we do not see our time there as worship as as participating in Christ's worship of the Father. Mm. So I'll, I'll give you another example of something I've heard once from someone where they told me like, oh, you know, I was away visiting someone and uh, that Sunday I went to the Lutheran church with them because that's their church. I didn't go to the Catholic church and then they'll say, and it's very similar. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just thinking to myself, you don't know what the mass is then. Because mm-hmm. it's not the same. We don't believe the same things. Now, I, okay, maybe you don't understand like the theological differences. That's fine. But it's like all they see is the external stuff. Like this is where I'm kind of getting at. All we tend to see when we talk about mass is the externals, which is very about all about subjectivity in a way. Like, oh, I like this. I want. I want this music because it makes me feel good. Or right. I want this kind of preaching because that's what's going to lift me up. Or I want. I want to do this innovation in the liturgy because that's what we got when I was growing up, and I don't want to lose that or whatever it is. Right. All we see is the externals without having the spiritual capacity to have been trained to see the spiritual work that is at play, which is Christ's offering of himself to the father on the cross sacramentally represented for us in the in the eucharist and so my intuition is that when we say these things oh you know when our first like it gets i guess for me it's been like it's not been wow i'm so grateful that i can participate in worship again it's oh i miss the music Again, not it's not a bad thing to miss those things. Right. But it's not balanced out by the more fundamental aspect of I come to mass to participate in the sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. It's like for many people, mass is this thing that I can have or this thing that's given yeah. to me, not an action that I participate in. And this is kind of this is the great irony of the liturgical reforms, is that right. the, the the motivating factor in in the thought of the liturgical reforms is if to make the liturgy make the participation of the body of Christ in the worship of the Father to make that more externally obvious to form us in this interior action that we participate in, but ironically <laughs> there's still this holdover or just or maybe even a different. Uh, a different evolution of it where it's still like no this is my mass and this mass is a thing i go to this thing mm-hmm. so yeah it's it, like i guess i and I, I hate generalizing generations sometimes but it has been my experience not just in priesthood but just over the years that the older generation for them it's it's not actually so much about going to mass it's about going to church mm-hmm. 
Well, that's, I mean, that is the good American thing to do. At least, I mean, you're in Canada, so it's different. Yeah, I was going to say. Like the, the good person <laughs> thing to do is you go to church on Sundays. And as long as you're going to church on Sundays, that's good. Mm-hmm. And there's an, uh, there's an aspect of that that is not untrue. Right. But the Catholic understanding of what we do on Sundays is much deeper than that. Exactly. And so I think like, I think with I mean to to talk about generations a little bit, uh, there yes, the older generation has that attachment, and the younger generation doesn't necessarily have the correct understanding, just has no attachment at all. Mm-hmm. So it's not like necessarily better among a younger generation. Uh, it's uh, an error on a different side um, that they haven't made mass into anything. Whereas potentially other generations or other people have made the mass into a thing it's not. Right. Right. So I just thought like it'd be worth, it's, it's, it's worth talking about this a little bit because I think it, it, we need to, there's still a lot of things kind of rummaging around in my brain about this that I probably won't be able to, won't be able to come out, but I just want to, want to talk about what is worship? What is the mass? Like, what is actually happening here and what do we need to do? And this is why, like I mentioned last week, how like your thing about the holy hour will dovetail nicely with what I wanted to talk about. Sure. Because just to start off, like we were talking about how the holy hour is really a participation in Jesus's hour, which is culminated in his sacrifice. Right. right? Especially if your holy hour is Eucharistic. Yeah. Uh, and this is something that sometimes we forget that adoration is supposed to lead us to the mass in one sense it flows from the mass i mean even just like uh technically you know you need <laughs> the mass to consecrate the eucharist so you can have adoration but right. on another level it's it's this anticipation that the holy hour should be an entering into a waiting and a yearning and a longing for what is culminated at the mass right which is uh but also there's another thing i think we should talk about it's not just the reception of communion either because that that can be an error as well and this is something i've heard a lot of that um and it, it's tough to talk about this because it can sound like you don't want people to receive communion. And that's absolutely not true. <laughs> like, I definitely want people to receive communion. Yeah. But there is this understanding that mass is for receiving communion. And while those mass and receiving communion are very much intertwined, uh, yeah. m- mass is not a reason for something else, you know. Uh, right. But I've even heard from 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 priests who say, "What's the point of even having mass if people aren't going to receive communion?" Y- yeah, that's, and like that's really dangerous because that's very dangerous. I mean, I, mean I, I get like it's gonna be if you want to say it's gonna be really awkward to have mass and have people not receive communion because I don't know if people will have the understanding to to accept that you know gracefully. I yeah, I get that. Or it's like, man, it, it's it's painful to have mass and not to be able to give my people communion that i understand but to say i don't understand the point of mass unless people receive communion that's when it gets troubling we've we've mentioned it before like this idea that you we don't what what is needed to consume the sacrifice is just the priest to receive communion and the whole point of going to you see the whole point of going to mass is not to receive the eucharist mm-hmm. the whole point of going to the mass is to be lifted up into christ's worship of the father which is the sacrifice of the mass, um, which is the sacramental representation of his off- self-offering on Calvary, right? So this is that that's your basic catechism stuff here. This is what's going on at mass. The sacrament is making present visibly through the symbol of bread and wine. And by symbol, I mean like not talking about the body, but I'm talking like bread and wine as a symbol that can make present, that actually through the words makes really present Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. That it is actually making present this sacrifice that happened two thousand years ago. It's made present now. Yeah. Okay. I think it's something we need to try to go back over a couple times okay. because yeah. it's it's once it's in your head, it makes sense. But if you're still hearing this for the first time or grappling with it, it's it's difficult. Uh, so I'm gonna take my shot, and then you can critique it, and we can we can <laughs> go from there. Um, so the, the the this is focused on the saving action of Christ on the cross. And that saving action of Christ on the cross, uh, very much a part of that is the incarnation. A part of that is the suffering and the death. 
a part of that is also the resurrection, and a part right, of that is right. also the ascension. Yeah. And if you if you listen to the prayers of the Mass, and in particular Eucharistic Prayer One, I think in the other ones as well, yeah. uh, it mentions that we're celebrating His suffering, death, and resurrection and ascension to heaven. Like that's a part of this whole thing. But the crux, if you will, is the Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That's right. kind of like the, the focal point. Right. Um, these other things are essential and a part of it, but like the focal point is the cross. It, it's the whole mystery of faith at right. present. Yes. Uh, so this saving action of Christ, this is what, what defeats sin, that puts the flight the devil, that opens up the gates of heaven toward right. us, that saves us, right? right? Okay. And so the Catholic understanding of this is that all of the graces, all of the sacraments flow from that moment. Right. And God puts us in touch with that saving moment by representing it at the mass. Right. It's not a re-sacrifice or a re-crucifixion. Right. It's sacramentally entering into that moment. Yeah. And this is why the signs and symbols are so important. This is why music is important. This is right. why the direction you worship is important. This is why the prayers are important because they're all to remind us that the earthly reality that we see is not the only reality that is there. Right. And so that's why we say the things we say and we do the things we do is because we need to remind, be reminded that we are in this eternal moment of Christ's sacrifice and not just us, but the entire church. And you'll, you'll always be reminded of that in the preface. And that's the part where we say, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. At the end of that little section of the prayer, there will always be some kind of uh, mention of we join with the angels and saints as we acclaim. Right. It's a reminder that we're not the only ones there. This is an eternal moment that stretches across time, space, and mysteriously into wherever heaven is. Because heaven's not necessarily time or space. Let's not get into that. But it stretches into heaven as well. That we are literally joining our praises with the eternal praises of the angels, who also worship God at the foot of the cross, mystically, somehow, all in this moment. So that's a lot that's going on. And that was my attempt to try to explain what happens at mass. <laughs> right. No, no, that's good because this is this is what we come for. Right? This yeah. is why we are here. It's not for the music, mm -hmm. as important as it is. Right. It's not even to receive the Eucharist as as essential as that is. And it and it plays an essential role. And we ought to receive the Eucharist, at least as as the church says, at least once a year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um but but actually Actually, we don't need to receive the Eucharist for a mass to be at work for us, the whole church. If if it's everything that you just said it is, um, then the, every mass that is being said is efficacious for every member of the church at mm -hmm. all time, right? We, we we mentioned this already when we were talking about closure of churches, right? We're yeah. still and saying mass. Is, yeah, and this is mentioned in Eucharistic Prayer 1 as well. Where you mentioned like the masses for um, the people gathered here, um, every even everyone who seeks God with goodwill, I think, is somehow mentioned right. in there. Uh, it's it, it's a remind that prayer is a reminder of the power of the Eucharist. Those gathered here, those who couldn't be here but are part of the Catholic Church, right. and even trying to draw in those who are outside and and those who are dead. Right? We after the after oh, right, the right, sacrifice, right, right. there's also the prayers for the dead. Right? So. Mm -hmm. This is the thing. The Eucharist is efficacious for the entire, the, the mass is efficacious for the entire church. And it always is, which means that whenever though we're coming to mass and we're actually present there, the whole purpose of being present is to be lifted up. And I, I know I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but I, will, I really think it's important to reiterate this. In a way, we could even say, we don't go to worship. We go to be lifted up into Christ's worship of the Father. Yeah. We are not the principal actors of worship. You see, things like music and everything take a principal role when we see ourselves as the principal actors of worship. We are, we have a role to play, but it's not the principal one. That's Jesus' role. Uh, Pope Benedict, I was reading this the other day, he says, Jesus is worship. Mm -hmm. Which is a really strong phrase when you think about it. Which is to say that life and the Mass is meant to be and what he means by worship then he's he's interpreting worship in a christological way which means to say now we have to look at worship through the lens of the cross and the resurrection which is a total self-offering 
Right. And that Christ is now bringing the church through the mass into the self offering to form us to be Christ like in the world, right? Hence, after communion and everything, you get sent to go to do mission to bring Christ to others. This really adds yeah. a depth to the understanding that the church is the body of Christ. Exactly. Because sometimes we don't like take that um, image to its natural conclusion. Like if the church is the body of Christ and if we're gathered in his body at the mass, then we are in Christ and in and taken up into his worship. Right. And what do and we I receive? Think, and it's also important. Like, okay, so what's the point of even, you know, going to mass? There is that presence. But uh, if you look at the real technical rubrics of the mass, when is mass supposed to start? It's supposed to start when the community is gathered. This is why there, it's not good to have 5,000 Sunday masses just so everyone can go there because that, in a sense, is almost like fracturing the body. Ideally, we should all be gathered as one, the mm -hmm. entire, you know, the parish, the church. Now, practically speaking, that's unlikely to happen, but you see that the ideal points to reality of what's supposed to happen. And that's why you can't just like keep multiplying masses because once you begin multiplying masses for the sake of convenience, then you are working against the meaning of the mass. You're contradicting mm -hmm. the mass in your own mindset, mm -hmm. which is bad. Mm -hmm. And and to add to your thing about the body element, right? What do we receive? We receive the body of Christ, right? Um, um, Pope, or sorry, St. Augustine uh, says, uh, Christian, become what you receive, mm -hmm. right? So this is this is the thing, and, and I think part of the problem, it's something I've been kind of pondering over. Why why is this so hard for people to internalize? And there's many reasons. One is something we've been mentioning a lot lately, so I'm not going to beat us over the head with the idea of co contemplation and seeing and developing kind of you could call them the spiritual senses. Yeah, uh, that is absolutely at play. But I think there's actually something deeper at play though too. We've lost the concept and the centrality of sacrifice as a culture. And when you lose sacrifice, you lose worship. Mm -hmm. Those two things are intricately tied together. You cannot have one without the other, at least in the Christian mindset, um, mm -hmm. at least in the Christian mindset, right? Because if, again, Pope Benedict's phrase, Jesus is worship. He's interpreting this through the cross and resurrection. So now worship is total self-giving it is total sacrifice and and i mean you already get hints of this in the old testament my sacrifice a contrite spirit a humbled contrite heart oh god you will not spurn which is a sacrifice right that is the real sacrifice god well, god, god wants true worship uh, uh, it's romans 12 1 right which is um therefore offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship Offering yourself is worship. This is the whole point. But we don't actually see this as necessary. We do not. And, and I don't know why. And I'll be honest. I, but I just the intuition right now is more that we've lost the need to worship because we've lost the centrality of sacrifice. Right. And you can. This helps. This is kind of like the central or the repeating sin of Israel. The refusal to sacrifice. Um, yes, there were, you know, temple sacrifices, but those were supposed to point to this offering of the self back to God. So when we look at it, okay, so the sin of Adam and Eve is they pulled themselves away from God. They ripped themselves away. And now there's a need to give yourself back entirely to God. But mm -hmm. because of sin, we're never able to do that completely. You know, even um, the great figures uh, in the Old Testament, Moses, uh, David, there are these moments in their lives where they hold something back or they take something back away from God. There's not the completeness. And even mm -hmm. in us, in our sinfulness, we do the same Peter, thing. Peter did exactly. the same thing. Peter does the same thing. We do the same thing. So then how can we possibly worship if we can't sacrifice completely? Ah, this is where Jesus Christ comes in. Exactly. He does it. And we exactly. are drawn into his perfect sacrifices. So that even our imperfect sacrifice is worth something because of Jesus Christ. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. And I and I think that, that that's but the thing is the reason we don't see we don't see his sacrifice as necessary because we don't even like we don't even recognize our insignificant sacrifice, our mm -hmm. imperfect sacrifice. We don't even recognize the centrality of that. 
And that's a problem. And I don't even, I'll be honest, I don't, I'm kind of throwing this out there more to say, I recognize the problem, I don't know the solution. Uh, <laughs> I wish I did, trust me, if I knew it, I would be preaching it hardcore all the time. And I'm gonna have to pray and think about this some more, obviously, but it's just been, it's been, it's been nagging at my brain in little ways at different angles over the last year or so that because like where where it comes out it comes out in innovations for example in liturgy if liturgy is no longer christ's worship of the father in which the church is lifted up into then it just becomes about the community right it becomes Mm -hmm. a celebration of the community and so we're going to do things that appease us Mm -hmm. and like this has been one of the major parts of of i think a lot of the failures in implementation over the last 50 years is not the council's fault it's that we lost the meaning of sacrifice. And I don't even think that's even lost on the council either. It's there. It just, things got twisted for whatever reason. But uh, 20 bucks says that if we can find ways. <laughs> American? To, sure. You could. 20 euros. More. 20 euros. Whoa. <laughs> 20, I don't know. Fancy uh, money. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, the if we can help form people to see the centrality like that we are like not we are actually created to worship people don't understand this yeah if, if they understood that we are created to worship we would stop seeing the liturgy as something to experiment with and we would stop rebelling against um attempts to connect it more deeply with the tradition mm-hmm. okay we would have a humbler heart towards the church and her magisterium, mm-hmm. we would give a lot more because we would recognize that we have to give our best back to God. Mm-hmm. And like um, we would live the moral sacrifices that come with our states of life. Like it's almost as everything. if it's almost as if everything flows from the mass. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there you go. Well, it's not, but that's not that everything flows from the mass, but like that everything at the heart of being a creature of being human mm-hmm. is to worship. Right. But we've lost this. Mm-hmm. We don't have this. I, I don't I, I don't know yet how to bring it back. Interestingly enough, and I'm actually really glad I'm talking about this because now my brain's going off because literally the first two <laughs> words for my doctoral thesis in its title is homo liturgicus, <laughs> right? That we are made nice. for liturgy, that we are made for the worship of God. And, but and if, that, 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 but, if that language puts you off, like we're made for worship, is that it? Well, worship is how you love God and how you're loved by him. Like That's <laughs> another way to look at it. Like, like saying that you're made for worship is saying that you're made for eternal love. Exactly. Exactly. Because guess what? Jesus worships the Father. Mm-hmm. Right? Pope Benedict's phrase only makes sense if worship is an actual act of the inner Trinitarian life. Right. Each so person it's... of the Trinity worships each other. Why? Mm-hmm. Because the full substance is in each person. And each person sees it in the other and worships it. Mm-hmm. This is... And if this is at the heart of the Trinity and we are made in the Imago Dei, the image of God, it follows that worship is not about, because it's not, you see, worship is not about appeasing God's ego. Right. Right. He's not, we're not saying God made us to worship him because, you know, it's like, he's like, hey, look at me. I'm God. You better worship me. Like, like, (laughs) it's like, it's like, it's like God's Fabio or something like that. And so like, (laughs) come here and worship me. Right. (laughs) God is not Fabio. Thank you for that soundbite. You're welcome. (laughs) Exactly. No, rather. And, and this is also important. This is also helpful because this is this is where I've been leaning towards my homily for the weekend. <laughs> um, at the same time, if that's the case, if this is how God is in Himself, worship is actually the is actually the way love takes a form and a shape in our life. Mm-hmm. It's saying to God, "I want to be immersed in Your life." Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with saying, "I'm just going to give things to you so I can appease you, so Your judgment doesn't come down upon me." It is no, it's saying, I want to love you as Mm -hmm. you love me. Because here's the crazy part, folks. If we are in Christ, and if Christ is one of the, you know, if the son who is hypostatically union to his, that humanity in which we are in, the father 
in a way then, even worships his creation because he offers himself to it out of love for it and asks for us to respond with the same love. It's not about appeasing. It's about responding with the same love that has already been offered to us. And this is the heart of living. Good, good. I want to say, uh, but okay. So <laughs> I think we've, 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 as well as we can emphasize worship and liturgy and what's happening at the mass. But I think we need to say a word about, okay, so, so then why receive communion? What's the point of reception? Cause I don't want to downplay that anyway, right. even though it's important to emphasize this one thing, because this is what's lacking right now. Right. Okay. Receiving communion. That's still good, right? What's the point of receiving communion if you've done well, all this whole, stuff already? Right. The whole point of the receiving of the communion is, in a way, it's almost like an embodied way of manifesting that love. Uh, it's a way of Christ, like almost imaging in a real way how we are in him and he is in us, right? Abide in me as I abide in you. And that that's not just a spiritual reality, that's a physical reality as well, because we are human beings who are body, embodied souls. And so, but receiving the eucharist though and this is like this is a whole other thing but it's not it's not to get my jesus <laughs> yeah it's not me and getting my jesus right me and my sacrament that's right it is to you it's called like again we call it communion for a reason because it's it's there to strengthen the bond of the communion of the church so that we can be strengthened to make the church which is the sacrament of salvation visible and known to the world mm-hmm so that means when we receive the Eucharist, I'm receiving it. Yes, I get individual benefits out of it because I'm an individual being, right? So I'm not yeah. denying that, but they're secondary. Those individual benefits flow from the bond of charity that ha that is at the heart of the church. It's Christ's way of, when I receive communion, I really am saying I'm in communion with Father Anthony, mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is a reason why we do not share communion with those who do not hold and teach everything that we like. We don't do that with the Orthodox. They have valid communion, but we don't, we're saying I'm not in communion with you yet. So I can't actually, sh I can't give visible expression to our, to what is not actually there. Yeah. You it's, can't make the, the reception of communion is also a statement in the sense. Exactly. Uh, so, you, so to receive communion outside of communion would be to lie and, and to lie is, about something very precious. And this is why divorced and remarried can't receive. Mm -hmm. This is this is the reason. This is the heart of it. It's not and saying you're not worthy. Those, even, those immortal sin need to exactly. go to confession before exactly. they receive. And this is not to yeah. discount the medicinal effects of the Eucharist, right? Because it is indeed healing for the sick. It's strengthening. It 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 forgives uh, venial sins. But you need to it, to imagine to to push the analogy. There is a medicinal effect to the Eucharist, but medicine can be a dangerous thing, right? If you take medicine willy-nilly, not looking at the label, you're going to make yourself more sick. You're going to, you can end up abusing medicine and it will make you more sick. And this is why it's important to, to approach it, you know, making sure that you go to confession regularly, making mm -hmm. sure that you reconcile with your neighbor. We do that symbolically in the sign of peace, but you need to do that, you know, literally as well. You need to approach it with reverence and respect as well so that you can be healed. So that, exactly. it, and you see what happens and people will say, well, I've received communion after I've, you know, sinned by not going to mass the previous Sunday or mm -hmm. uh, because I am divorced and remarried or saying, I don't see an effect. I see the effect mm -hmm. because what happens in these souls is that mass becomes more and more of an obligation. It become they become numb to the graces that are going on. And that ends up being a scandal where you mm -hmm. end up not caring as much about the beauty of God of the Eucharist mm -hmm. by receiving improperly you end up numbing yourself to the love of God and I've seen the effects in parishes I've seen the effects you know in my own life as well when that's happened that's why we have to take these things seriously so it's it's not it's not uh, sometimes the critique if you have a, a high Eucharistic theology the, the critique is that this is a reward this is you know, no 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 we're not saying that at all we're just saying that's very important and it should not be taken lightly Exactly. So at the heart of this is you are created to worship because worship is how we love because that's how God loves us. Mm -hmm. And if we can start to see our whole life this way, then really actually our whole life really in a way poetically becomes liturgy at which guess what? Guess what heaven is like? There is a reason the book of revelation is liturgical. 
right? Liturgy is the highest form of what it means to be human. And so it's also the, at the same time, this tells you why it can't just be messed with. And I think messing with it, this is my little intuition. I'm not, I have no data to back this up, <laughs> but I really think that the messing with it of the last 50 years, and I'm not talking about what the council asked for reform. They're talking about like the weird experimentations that went on in the spirit of the council that people did in, in weird ways. It deformed people around away from worship and actually deformed them away from being human. Yeah. So that's all I'll say. Thank you for bearing with me because now I have my homily set for the weekend, which cool. is great. I think, I think we got to it. I think it took us a while. We circled it, but I think <laughs> we, we got it. there. <laughs> yeah. This is, folks, this is the way I think, by the way. Like, I kind of talk and then suddenly it just clicks. And then I was like, okay, now I can just go off. And I appreciate you bearing with me on that one because it's been hanging around my brain and I needed to talk about it. So I appreciate you for coming along for the ride. Cool. Um, so thanks for tuning into the podcast. You can find us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, everywhere. Uh, please leave a review. Please tell your friends about the podcast and tell your enemies too, because Jesus said we must love our enemies. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. You can find me praying with the new Word on Fire revival. <laughs> you can find the podcast at ClericalPod on Twitter. You can email us clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. And we will see oh, we will see you all next week. God bless. Peace.